This is the Serial at Midnight Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Serial at Midnight Podcast. My name is Heath Holland and Amanda Reyes returns. I'm so excited to share this conversation with you. Let me set it up really quickly. I was on social media uh, bemoaning the current state, the implosion of streaming uh, and how these corporations are basically erasing movies and TV shows to lower their tax bill. I thought it was a dangerous precedent. Amanda stepped in and said, hold on, it's always been this way. Uh, the show got canceled on network television years ago. It was never seen again. Uh, I said, that's interesting, let's talk about it. So in this conversation, we're talking about streaming. We are talking about TV history. We're talking about the idea of things going away. Do they ever really go away? Do we have the technology to prevent that from ever happening? Basically, the more things change, the more they stay the same. So this is a, I think it's a really, really interesting conversation. I have so much respect for Amanda. When she talks, I am taking notes because she knows her stuff inside and out. Without further ado, take it away, Amanda. You know, you and I had talked a little while ago just on, on social media about all this stuff that's happening with the world of streaming and the studios that control all of the stuff that is streaming. And one of the things you talked about, which I was actually unaware of when I kind of jumped into your conversation, was this idea of recording things and putting them on a streaming service only to pull them and delete the files completely so nothing exists of the productions and therefore they're gone forever. And I, I had not been aware of that, which shocked me. And I know it's like a tax loophole, which I can't imagine is going to last very long because that just, there's so many evil and wrong things about it. But, but when I was looking at your thread, what struck me about it was this idea of people being really upset about things streaming and then not streaming. And me being a person who comes from the golden age of television, not just as somebody who experienced it growing up, but also uh, is a historian for television from the 70s and 80s and even before that, um, was that, you know, a lot of stuff just does disappear. And a, a really good example of that might be made for TV movies. There's something like 5,000 of them were produced between 1964 and 1999. And I think maybe 10% of them have ever become available on home video. Uh, so it's not unusual for me to see things happen and then disappear. And I think you and I were having two different conversations and you contacted me because you wanted us to kind of dive into the nuances of what it means to the art form and to the business model, right? Is that what you were kind of getting at? That's absolutely right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm would concerned. You... Like it's a concerning moment right now because we're watching people erase art. And I guess it is two different conversations, but they also feel like the same kind of conversation because it feels like... Um, you know, like in the United States, we've never had to really pay for television before. Yes, we had to pay for cable or things like that. Like in the UK, you pay for a TV license that you, mm -hmm. you know, we've not had to do that. And so I don't know. I feel like there was an expectation. Part of it created by okay, Bob Iger at the beginning of Disney Plus said this is going to be an archive of all of Disney's films and television shows. And that lasted for a few years, I guess. And then they start taking things down. And then this year, because I don't think it happened before this year. I think it's really right now is we're seeing them erasing films and television shows for tax write-off purposes. And I'm not sure because I don't think there's a precedent for this. I'm not sure if how long it goes away, if it goes away forever. My understanding was that, well, no, if you write it off for you. Like if you're writing down hundreds of millions of dollars on your taxes, you can't then go monetize it somewhere else. That's why you're writing it off in the first place. 
So I don't know if this stuff ever ends up on a Tubi or any sort of other streaming service or iTunes or anything like that. It's, it's, that, that scares me. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I think the the idea of erasing was really shocking to me. It, but of course, there is a precedence for it because in um, prior, to, and I think even in the 70s, uh, when they recorded a lot of stuff on video, they would wipe the videos. And so a lot of like the ABC Y World mystery entries are gone. They think some of them have been luckily popping up here and there because like, um, I think I know there's 60 millimeters for syndicated runs. Uh, the Library of Congress has some stuff. I don't know what kind of format it's in. And I know also the UCLA Television Archive has some as well, luckily. And so there's more that still exists than we thought. But that was dozens of movies that were considered just, that's it. If you didn't catch it on ABC at 1130 at night in 1972, oh, well, it's gone. And that, as a historian, is really upsetting to me. So aside from even the fact that all these people, because am I right? Was it Batgirl? What is the one that got, they just made it and then it never yeah, so, and Warner Brothers and Warner Brothers yeah, and Bad Girl. That's yeah. like uh, really insulting and upsetting and on, on a number of levels and not just this idea of like wiping away what I would consider a historical document because I think all films have some historical significance. But the idea that I think the filmmakers talked about this, that they made this thing, whether it was for commercial reasons or artistic reasons is up to them, but it was still a product that people worked on and and put some effort into. And, and now it's just, that's it because the studio benefits from not showing it. And there's something really alarming about that. And I think you are talking about a really interesting moment because we're here and I haven't been following it maybe as well as I should have, but we're here in a moment with like the WGA and SAG and after striking and, uh, and people are really getting fed up with the studio systems. And I think you even said something on social media about how you're seeing the studios implode. Was that you? And I said, well, Spielberg said it too. I didn't know okay. Spielberg said it. So <laughs> I should give him credit, but okay, but we both think it's going to implode. Yeah. That's two great minds, but I'm, I'm <laughs> maybe wondering if it's okay, if there's an implosion, because so the way I look at the streaming is the way I look at the early days of the internet in that when the internet first came to be like in a real prominent way, like in the late nineties and early two thousands, all of these businesses came out. And everybody was like, oh, now the world of business is going to be on the internet and everything. And then there was this crash and like Amazon survived and eBay survived, but a lot of these companies are gone and that's unfortunate, right? And I'm not trying to say that was right, but they had to kind of figure out where the middle ground was. I think it tried to explode too fast. Mm -hmm. And then, um, cause they saw this opportunity and there was no way to sustain it because they didn't know what they were doing really yet. And then now we're in like, this internet model 2.0 where businesses can survive because they've understood things diff differently than they did in the originally. And so the way I see the streaming, and I'm talking really fast, but the way I see the streaming world is that um, one of the things I've been reading about, which is really interesting, is that a lot of uh, these streaming services are like really creating tons and tons of content, but they're not profiting from it. Yeah. And it's going to crash because they can't monetize it properly yet. And so I think that this era of streaming is probably going to be like a bomb at some point. It's going to have to explode and, and kind of die down. And then they're going to rebuild from that with what they learned from this first go. But it's interesting that channels like Tubi, or I don't know what you call them, platforms like Tubi, are doing so well because they're ad-supported which recalls television uh, to all the way back to the mm -hmm. history of the beginning of it. 
So instead of trying to monetize it through subscription services, the channels, I think, or the, I always want to say channels, but the apps or whatever, like Tubi, are surviving with these ad-supported systems that, and they're showing, they have tons of great content. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it isn't new. They have dug in, like if you go through their film and television shows, like they just uploaded Amen, every episode of Amen, they had soap on there, which they just pulled down, but they had it on there for a long time. Like all these great classic shows that I love. Um, so interestingly enough, they had Three's a Crowd, the spinoff to Three's Company, but they didn't have Three's Company. But it's on Pluto, which is ad supported. So that was a long-winded answer. But I think what I'm saying is there's a lot of concerning things, but at the same time, maybe this explosion needs to happen because I yeah. think the studios are really trying to strong arm a lot of things that shouldn't be strong armed and maybe they need to crash and burn before we can really get to a good place in terms of developing really great content that doesn't have to be proliferated times 20 and that can be fed to us in a way that is profitable for them and we still get really good programming good night everybody that's the <laughs> that was great though that's like okay. i mean you, that's you hit it all but we can go down and we can explore some of those doorways because okay Yes, it is not sustainable. And it's interesting when you and I started talking about this, there was the writer's strike, but SAG after hadn't joined in yet. And it, like it happened fast in the, in the space of about two weeks. It was like all the actors were like, no, no, this isn't okay. You have far too much control. And I think it's tied into streaming. You know, I saw a thing today, Sean Gunn, James Gunn's brother is talking about not being fairly compensated for Gilmore Girls on Netflix. And so it's all it's all kind of the same thing that's leading to this thing that's happening right now. And it's interesting that streaming has become the new TV. You call them channels. They feel like channels, you mm-hmm. know, I and to your point, like I was looking for Adam 12 the other day. I just wanted to scratch my Adam 12 itch. And I was like, where is this? And it's not on any of the major streaming networks, but it's on one of the free ad supported with commercials right and i was like oh so it's almost like they get dumped because people think i don't know if executives think like well they're not going to watch this on a like it's too low for a netflix or something like that but we'll add support it i don't know um i can i maybe i can provide just a tiny bit of insight i won't say who said this but uh, i you know i deal with a lot of blue-ray distributors and a lot of stuff has shown up on tubi from different companies (laughs) and i asked them about uh licensing their stuff and they said that Tubi actually pays them better than almost any other service that they've licensed their stuff to so uh, ad supporting still works so so i think you're right maybe the networks are not the networks but the executives are like oh yeah out of 12 is this old and nobody cares about camp mccord when we all care about camp mccord let's face it but like um um but it's actually probably semi-profitable for them especially since that show so old shows actually stopped garnering residuals after six runs back in the day so those are almost like free programming for people, which is why you saw a proliferation of sub channels, sub digi, whatever they used to call them, yeah. like me TV, because a lot of those programs are, are a lot cheaper to license. So, so it might be just a, it might be like, they're not dumping the programming, but maybe show, channels like, uh, or apps like Plex and Tubi are seeking out those because they know that they can make a profit off them with the way their uh, system works there. This is why I wanted to talk to you about this. You're bringing the knowledge. Now, the, now I'm talking about reruns for the director. I don't know how it works for SAG or right. the, I used to work for the Directors Guild. So I kind of have a general idea of like how residuals work. Now I know it's changed over the years. And I can also 
speak a little bit to when streaming first came to be because I was there when Hulu first emerged and nobody'd really heard of streaming and uh and Apple wanted really badly to actually Adam 12 was I think uh um prototype for them and it was at the time when Kent McCord was I think president of SAG and they the guilds were looking the writers maybe not the writers guild but I know the screen actors guild was looking at a lot of money to be paid to the actors for the use of a stream, but nobody knew what to do with it. And so there was a lot of negotiating that went on. And then I know the guild that I worked for came up with a really crazy pay system. And I can't remember how I barely understand it, um, but it had, it might've been based on hits or downloads or something, but it was, mm -hmm. they tried to make it manageable so that the studios would feel encouraged to put shows on streaming um, and the, and the directors would also feel like they were being compensated for their work. It was very difficult. And, yeah. and I think that's why it was so complicated. And I don't know that it's gotten less complicated since then. I think it's gotten more complicated crazily because there's so many different, it's so fractured now. Yeah. There's so many people that will, I mean, every studio wants to have their own service now or more than one because they'll have the pay to, they'll have the subscription service and then they'll have like the ad supported service. So it's, it's crazy. I'm curious what you think about, um, I'd like to talk about piracy if you're comfortable talking about it, because sure. I, I mean, we, we talk about the past. It's so true that shows would get canceled and then never seen again, especially if they, if they were under that syndicated, like mm. a three, you know, under three seasons or whatever it needed to be. But we live in a world now where technology dominates everything and people are already pirating so much. And I wonder sometimes, and maybe you have some insight into this, but what is a studio or an executive thinking when they, they're, so they're writing these shows off or these movies or whatever they may be. I've pirated them. I'll go ahead and say it. Like I've downloaded some of these shows or supported people that are burning these to disc or whatever. Nothing really goes away now through technology. Like nothing has to go away. Nothing ever really does go away. If they're removing a legal way for people to watch something that they want to see, I feel like it's just pushing people to steal it. I, I agree with that. I've, I've had a really uh, back and forth relationship with uh, piracy. I survive on it because a lot of stuff I write about, I can only get it through uh, certain channels, the dark web of TV movies, right? And so, yeah. and I have found people who have large supplies of things that will send me copies of stuff for money. And, um, but at the same time, this is a hard question to answer because I've only recently become really okay with like people saying, Hey, this is here and you can watch it for free. It used to drive me nuts because I feel like um, it discourages people from releasing things legally. If they see that people are just going to watch it on YouTube or whatever, you know what I mean? But if it's completely unavailable and there's no way for you to get it, what are you going to do? You know what I mean? And I, I feel like I feel like there could be two sides to this argument. It's it's maybe feels like a sense of entitlement that we feel like we should see everything. You know what I mean? We There's so much happening in the world and, and we care about this TV show. Why? Right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, um, these are works of art and these are things that are important to people. And if you take them away from them, especially if they're willing to pay for the service that was providing it, then go for it. You know what I mean? If they've taken away what you want to support, then you're going to have to find another method. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. a complicated issue. Um, I think everybody sort of dabbles in it.
to a degree. If they're any kind of cinephile, you have to. Um, but I think when it, I think where it gets me is when like is it like I hate when I do commentaries on movies and then I see people promoting it on YouTube, and I'm like, oh, I wish they would buy the Blu-ray. You know what I mean? Because what do you know? What do you mean? The, like they're stealing like, it? No, like they're just watching it on YouTube instead of buying the Blu-ray. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. and that, and then it just it discourages corporations from wanting to release more TV movies, mm-hmm. things like that. Like that bothers yeah. me. But like, uh, uh, but some of these movies are really rare, and they just show up on YouTube, and I'm I'm all over it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And now I've actually started promoting it. I used to not do that. I I hated when people did that. You know, I'm like, don't tell them because then somebody's going to complain about it. I will actually say when I worked at the Guild, when YouTube first appeared, and I won't say who it was, but a TV movie director called somebody had always wanted to talk to. And he was very upset that his his movie had been uploaded in chapters. Remember when YouTube uploaded full films and chapters and he wanted to know what his residuals were going to be. And we were like, well, somebody in Kokomo uploaded that. I don't know how to help you. And so my boss's boss, who was one of the really high up people at the guild, had to talk to him and, and he explained everything. Um, but like I got I think that's what made me really sensitive to it was because this filmmaker made a really great film. And now lots of people are going to benefit from it. But he's not. Do you know what I mean? I know exactly and, what you mean. And I got really and we see that side of it. Right. Because we yeah. know not only do we care about it and we care about the people that made it and the people that were in it and the the grip right i mean we we care yeah. about the people the, the the team that made these things but we also are invested in the success of them as as art and so we're involved in some of this stuff too and we know the people that did this and it like i know again i can't say who it is but i know somebody that told me i made this movie and i'm seeing it i haven't sold a lot of it but i'm seeing people pirating it and it's tons of people are pirating it and I'm like, well, that's really unfortunate because you want to support art. You want to support artists. Well, I do. I, I can say not everybody does, but I do. And um, it's tough. It's it's really tough because you you do walk a line between wanting to support art, supporting the artist, and then wanting access to things that might not get released otherwise. You know how long I waited for Hawaiian Eye to get some sort of a legitimate some yeah. like a release? It's like it's not going to happen. So you know and so I I try to do it only when I know it's okay is not the right word but well when it's completely unavailable I think that makes it oh I will say that makes it okay like there's a show speaking of things that get lost so I'm obsessed with this show called Lottery I think it it ran 13 episodes I'm not even sure anymore I watched when I was 13 it started Ben Murphy and this guy named Marshall Colt and it was it was like that show the millionaire from the 50s where this these people give people a million dollars and then we see what happens to their lives or whatever and I love that show it's not ever going to come out anywhere I, I it's not and um somebody uploaded it onto YouTube but in the German release so it's in German and so that's the only way I can watch it Are now. Are you learning German? No, I want to really bad. I, I keep checking to see if it's been uh, re-uploaded with even subtitles or something. There's got to be a way to around it. But like that show's just gone forever. Yeah. It's good. Nobody's no no studio was like, hey, we should release lottery on DVD. I'm sure it'll. It's not going to sell, you know. And so uh, I have to. I I if I'm going to ever get it, it will have to be a bootleg. Mm-hmm. And I'm comfortable with that because I it's that movie show came out in like 1984, 83, and now it's 2023. And hey, if it's not available, I feel okay with it. So I don't know if you're talking about more new stuff, 
because so much that's new does have so many different access points to it that could be profitable for people. So that's a little tougher for me. But even then, I think it depends, I guess. I don't know. I don't know if I answered that question, but. Well, what we it's it's tricky is what we're coming down to. And with these new shows. So, you know, there's that Willow show. So Disney made a show. It's a Willow oh, yeah, yeah. sequel. I'm, I'm not particularly interested in it. I did buy a pirated version because I wanted to, I, it just bothered me. It just, <gasps> I did. I know it just, <laughs> it just really pissed me off because I was like, this doesn't have to, you know, so I did that, but I'm like, why not? If you're going to write it off for a tax write down, well, they didn't tap any digital distribution. They didn't tap, you know, digital you know, video on demand. They didn't tap you know, Amazon prime or like all these different revenue streams totally off the table they're like we'd rather just go away now i've met warwick davis who played you know mm-hmm. the title character and i'm like i just feel like his children will never see this or his grandkids will never see this now like it's just gone it just bothers there's something it just feels ethical it feels really gross it feels really slimy and corporate in a way that we don't often see now or maybe we do see it, but it just it's dressed differently. Like executives, you know, they don't have the cigar. And they're like, let me tell you, kid, yeah, I'm yeah, make yeah. you a star. It's different. It looks different, but it's the same behavior. It's like, you know, they're they're watching the bottom line and they're doing whatever they have to do to maximize profits for the shareholders at the end of every quarter is what it comes down to. Yeah. And I say nay nay. Yeah, <laughs> that's the ugliness of Hollywood because it is this really weird. A mixture of business and art in a way that no other art form, maybe the music industry, who I know suffered greatly with like Napster and stuff, but like, um, and Spotify, but like, it's, it's such a weird amalgamation of like, guys and ties, who have like these business degrees, who like think movies are cool. And maybe if they produce movies, they'll meet pretty girls. And then there are like filmmakers who probably think they'll meet pretty girls, but like also like have gone to film school or not and have a real passion for it. And then they have to somehow work together when the executives are looking at, well, is there a scare every seven seconds? Uh, How dressed or undressed is this girl? Um, do, Do you have... I need a, like an explosion every 15 minutes. And then the filmmaker's like, well, but the plot doesn't require that. Well, but you need to fit it in because that's what sells or whatever. So like, it's such a weird combo. And I think sometimes you can tell when studios have really interfered with things, but I think that there's also like this weird, it's sort of like how, when we talk about such a strange connection, but you know, we talk about the patriarchy, there's no like group of white men sitting in a room directing culture, but it is kind of directed by white men, you know, like who who through the years have decided how we're going to be. And so I think in the background, even if the executives aren't like looming over the filmmaker, there is so much behind them just being in the business that they have to sort of subliminally kind of understand that and work within those confines. And sometimes it can really mess up a vision. You know, and so I don't know how any films get made, to be perfectly honest with you, because it's it's a really uneasy mix. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know either. I'm grateful for the ones that do. And I hope that uh, as we wind down, I hope that your work talking about here, I've got the book right here. I hope that your work talking and championing um, oh, thank you. television films and just 
television and movies in general as I as I throw it to the ground. Um, <laughs> I hate this I, book. I <laughs> spike it to the ground like a volleyball. Um, I hope that you know people more people more and more people will discover this stuff and start to see it less as disposable you know, widgets and start to see it more as, as art. You know, I, I made a, a video. I don't even remember when it started, but not long ago, I started calling movies art and I got pushed back. And I was like, what? It is art. Like people create this stuff They you know, they, they pour their blood, sweat and tears into it. Yeah. There's going to be exploitation director. It's like Sam Katzman, right? Like, I mean, there's people in the history of the business that may not have been personally invested in what they were making, but the directors, the filmmakers, the writers, everybody wants to do something good. They want to make something that matters. Yes. And it's up to us to at least see that and accept that and not be like, mm-hmm. ah, it doesn't matter. I don't know. I Part of why I get fired up is because I make these videos where I talk about this stuff and people are like, nope, let it burn. Like All these movies are garbage. Like when I started talking about Disney writing off these movies, people were like, good. I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's not good for anything to go away. Yeah, like, yeah. You, like, it's good if it hadn't been made in the first like if you can stop it from being made like oh maybe this isn't the best use of resources it did get made now we don't want it to just like take out the eraser and make it go away right it just burns me up you know so, so i don't know that's not and, a good wind down but that's no that's but one thing we were talking about too we maybe want to bring this up here before we stop is this idea of like how storage also works though for the people who run the vaults, I guess, at the studios. So one thing we were talking about was like, I think somebody left a comment on your thread about, well, some, all these things came out on DVD, but like, for instance, um, when you're digitizing something, you, it doesn't just stay in one form because everything gets upgraded. And you, and from what I understand, I went to the seminar and some people who worked for, I think CBS came and talked and they were talking about how they have to save two copies of everything. And then when everything gets upgraded, then they have to upgrade everything from the library and then save two more copies. And at the time they were remastering happy days and they had to, um, they couldn't get the music rights because they used a lot of classic music from the fifties for that show. So they had to hire somebody to come in and make music that fit the scenes. Cause they had like a dance number with Richie and somebody. And so they had to make it close enough that the dancing worked but not close enough that they would get sued by the original songwriters. Right. And so that cost money. And so this is uh, maybe I'm not trying to side with the studios here, but it's this. So there's a lot going on. And I think it's important that if we're going to understand that some of the studios are trying to support these things, but it is also like an uphill battle. We can't digitize every episode of one life to live as much as I would like music rights plays a big part in that, but just because there's thousands of hours of content and it's not, there's just a few archivists that can do this. Right. And so I guess to agree with you, uh, to bring that up as like a point of contention, um, but also to agree with you that why burn that to the ground? Clearly somebody is taking care with some of this stuff because it matters. And you can tell me till you're blue in the face that Happy Days doesn't matter but because it, it's a sitcom, but it does. It totally does. Yeah. And why would you want to wipe something away? And also just because you don't get something from it personally doesn't mean that it doesn't A, have historical importance or B, doesn't have meaning to somebody else, like in really great meaning. So like, don't shit on other people's stuff. Um, but so it is an uphill battle. And, and to that degree, I understand what the studios are up against. But if they're like willy nilly erasing new stuff just because they might save some money, then they need to think about their business model more intensely and they need to learn about caring for the products that they're actually making because until they do that 
they're they are going to just implode and that and then bob Iger and his 23 million dollar a year job or however much he makes that's gone you know so he should he and i have a real bug up my butt about him because of the soaps like he annihilated abc soaps him and the guy that ran daytime brian phones so i don't have a lot of respect for anything bob Iger says anyway and um but he's just shooting himself in the foot by like crapping all over this stuff that he's making now you know what i mean and and uh, and destroying an archive that's just that's just like it's not book burning but it's like it's you're getting there you know what i mean you're starting to do things that are really like destructive to the culture is yeah. maybe what i'm trying to say yeah. <laughs> no you know, that, i agree I, I mean i could we could do another 30 minutes on bob Iger, but i'm not going to because He's not worth the, it. The extent of people's complaints about Bob Iger right now is, or well, they love him because he bought Marvel and he bought Star Wars. That's what it comes down to. Is they're like, oh, now Disney has these things, but Disney didn't know what to do with those things, and I would argue that they ruined those things by oversaturation. And mm -hmm. it, that's not me taking on the internet because I like th there's good stuff there. That's fine, but his legacy is going to be, I bought it. I don't know what to do with it, but I bought it because he just wants to boost the portfolio, right? Yeah, yeah. They're like, oh, what a hero. What a great guy. Yeah. Um, and then he's like, to your point, he's just burning everything else down because he's he doesn't care about art. And it's the same thing we see with Zaslav over at Warner Brothers. Like, he doesn't know anything about the classic movie catalog or Warner Brothers history. He's there to make to to make money for the company. And he'll walk away with tens of millions of dollars when it's all said and done as he walks away from the ashes it'd be like one of those uh slow motion action movies where they walk away in slow motion and like <laughs> explosion behind them yeah 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 well maybe I don't know. he could start by like maybe we could start by not making movies that uh, have budgets of like a gazillion dollars and the gross make, national product of a small nation yeah you would actually make profits if your movies weren't like you could have one 300 million dollar movie if you want you know but like you don't have to have six of them a year or whatever you know it, it, it just it's it ridiculous. wasn't that long ago that you'd get a few huge movies in the summertime and then middle budget movies most of the other time and even some smaller budget movies and like now it's teeny tiny or it's massive yeah it's it's unsustainable which I is agree. that's what we're talking about that's why yeah. this is all happening to begin with this is because it's not sustainable and these studios are like well we got to save some money somehow so let's burn these things just burn them down and try to save some tax dollars um, I knew there would be no resolution to this conversation. I think you've probably taken it as far <laughs> just as we be can. angry. I know, but I appreciate you uh, sharing your insight and your experience and your perspective. Thank you. Thank you. I hope I've made sense. You did. Do, <laughs> you, you got anything you want to talk like you, you anything you want to promote or can you announce or what are you probably, up to? Probably Have you done not. two or three commentaries this morning already? Yeah, I already, I did 12 commentaries, uh, when I got up at six. And yeah, six hours ago, I just do them really fast. No, I, I don't know that I have anything coming out right now. Uh, I do know that I worked on the Emmanuel box set for Severin along with Kayla Janice. And that's going to be this giant massive, it's like 23 films uh, that I think the board game got sold out, but there was all these really neat like merch things that came with it. And it's got a ton of great supplemental materials. And if you love Laura Gemser, and I know you do, this really spotlights what a special person she was. Um, and it has a lot of her non-Emmanuel movies that they just ended up calling Emmanuel to write on her fame. It's really her complete filmography and it's pretty amazing. So that's coming out this month, I think, from Severin. Can you believe that that their YouTube channel got taken down because of that trailer? I, know. I have no idea what the trailer, I think I watched the trailer. I don't remember being super 
it's YouTube. It's naughty. It's like YouTube's out of control. Well, it's, it's weird because they, like I could go on YouTube right now and probably watch like a movie that came out two years ago, but somehow like an episode of Chips will get pulled down. And it's like, <laughs> all right, I don't understand this. Eric Estrada, <laughs> he's so incendiary. He's like, he's really controversial. Get rid of him. He's too sexy. Yeah. Oh, too sexy. No. <laughs> yeah, it might be it. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't understand how, I guess that's, that's a really good indicative form of uh, the studios and corporations in general, who knows why they do what they do. It's, it's bots running everything. It's yeah. uh, computer programs that are running the whole show and there's no nuance or like human judgment to go, mm -hmm. oh, I almost lost my channel a couple of weeks ago because of a copyright lawyer or copyright uh, pirate. I'll tell you about that in a second. Okay. Well, anything else? Did you have anything else you want to talk about <laughs> or promote or no, I think that... books, podcast? Not right now. I mean, I have a lot going on, but I'm I'm so overwhelmed and nothing's been announced really new. So I'll just say you can follow me at Made for TV Mayhem on Twitter and on Facebook and on Instagram, and I'll update anything there. Okay. And I'll put all the links in the description of this. Uh, Amanda, thank you so much. It's always a thank pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, I had fun. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. There's so much happening right now. I think we're living through an unprecedented time in the history of media. Uh, there are some parallels and some precedents for the kind of control that we're seeing, some of the corporate uh, things that are happening, the corporate shenanigans is, is, I guess, what I'm trying to say. However, we're seeing it at a time where we have technology that renders a lot of these things unnecessary or uh, or at least questionable. And so I think corporate greed, corporate, those, those corporate shenanigans are more in the public eye than they've ever been before. We see them because we have social media, because we have a 24-hour news cycle. We know everything that's going on. We see these decisions unfolding in real time and we have a voice. We have something to say. We have a part in this ourselves. So uh, I'm curious what you think about all of this. I'd love to hear from you. If you're watching this on YouTube, please thumbs up, subscribe, leave a comment. If you are listening to this in podcast form, please rate, review, subscribe. Uh, contacts information is in the description of every episode that you uh, see or hear and do what you can to spread the word about the Serial at Midnight podcast. Also, follow Amanda Reyes on all of her platforms. She is such a valuable asset for people like us, for people who value our entertainment. And we see it more as just a disposable, consumable product. We love this stuff. So uh, I'm tremendously grateful to Amanda. I'm tremendously grateful to you. Thank you so much. We'll be back soon with another conversation. Until next time, I will catch you later.